Welcome back, folks, to Wrestling Rate Radio for January 13th, 2015. I am your host of the most, Graham Houston Matthews. A lot to talk about this week, from Monday Night Raw to an on-site report to the TNA Impact Wrestling Show, the debut on Destination America last Wednesday night where I was in attendance. I'll be talking all about that in a little bit. Randy Savage going into the Hall of Fame and so much more, so stay tuned for that. But before we get started, just a few cheap plugs and updates. Um, of course, last week on the first episode of 2015, right here on WrestleRant Radio, I reviewed former WWE superstar, star of Gotham, star of Jersey Shore Massacre, Romeo Roselli. Great interview, great guy. Really enjoyed talking to him. It was an awesome interview, pulling in some big numbers. So if you want to check it out for yourself, kind of revealing the in- insides and outsides of the WWE, the tag team division back when he was around, his tag team, the heartthrobs, if you remember him, um, his time in acting, and so much more. It was a great interview, so make sure to go back and check it out. It was on last week's episode of WrestleRant Radio right here on NextEraWrestling.Web. Awesome interview. Like I said, check it out if you haven't already. Uh, Second update here, I appeared on Randy Cruz's podcast, The Cruise Control, earlier today as I filmed this on Tuesday the 13th. I'm talking Macho Man in the Hall of Fame, the Monday Night War, WWE Network, the current product, Daniel Bryan, Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Monday Night Raw, WrestleMania 31, and so much more. Had a great time. Um, I thought I was only going to be on there for about 10-15 minutes. We ended up talking, shooting the breeze about WWE for about 45 minutes. It was a great time. And I can't give you the exact length. It's kind of long and, you know, it's on Blog Talk Radio. But if you want to catch the link to our discussion, it's up on my Twitter page at WrestleRant as well as on Facebook at Graham Jason Matthews. Highly suggest checking it out. A lot of fun talking to him. And that is up there if you want to listen to it. So getting to today's edition of WrestleRant Radio, like I said before, a lot to talk about, but no real better way to kick off today's show than talking about the announcement that was made on last night's episode of Raw, Macho Man Randy Savage finally bound for the WWE Hall of Fame in 2015. Couldn't be any happier. I mean, it's a long time coming. It's been pretty heavily rumored for a while now. Randy Savage, the story going back to, you know, only a few months ago when the DVD was made. I believe uh, Lanny Poffo, Randy Savage's brother, was at WrestleMania 30 last year or so. It's been in the works for a while, and I'm glad they didn't pull the trigger any sooner. And I'm talking about, like, in the last few years or so. If only because, and, you know, Randy and I talked about this a lot on today's show. Like I said, go back and check it out. Uh, we, we talked about a lot and how in the last couple of years they've done a great job of how really spacing out all these big names. Because, you know, to me, for the longest time, there were three guys that deserved to go in the WWE Hall of Fame. That without the, without these three guys, the Hall of Fame would never be truly considered legitimate. It was Bruno Sammartino, who went in 2013. The Ultimate Warrior, who went in last year in 2014. And now Randy Savage, who has been due for a very long time now, who was now due in in 2015. So it's great to see that they didn't do Sammartino, Warrior, and Savage all in one class. Because, of course, no one's ever going to top that. We've had some really great, we, we, had some really great Hall of Fame classes in the last couple of years. I've been uh, the, the 2013 one I thought was especially strong. We had Mick Foley that year, Sammartino. Trish Stratus, Booker T, a lot of great talents. Last year, we had Paul Bear, uh, Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon. We had a few other names as well, Lita. So we've had a lot of great names in the last couple of years. I look forward to who might else be inducted in 2015. But, of course, the biggest news coming out of this week, Macho Man finally 100% confirmed, no bullshit, uh, for, the WWE, for the WWE Hall of Fame come this March. So I look forward to that. But like I said before, this guy should have been a long time ago. It really sucks. Um, you know, of course, one of the cons of, been, of him being included so late is that, you know, he won't be there to accept the honor in person. Of course, he passed away in, two, in 2011. And um, I, I remember that very, very clearly as if it was yesterday. 
Um, I believe it was May 20th, 2011. It was a Friday. I'd heard the news when I was at school. Um, very sad to hear the news. I was always a big Randy Savage fan. Of course, I didn't grow up watching him. I only started watching in 08, as I've said time and time again before. But, you know, in the time that I grew up watching, he was always one of my favorite legends. He was never on WWE programming in the time that I was watching wrestling for or have been watching wrestling for. But I saw the DVDs. I would see the commercials. I would see the impersonations, the YouTube videos. More recently, stuff on the WWE Network. I go back and watch his matches on the network at past WrestleManias with guys like Ricky Steamboat for WrestleMania 3 or his WrestleMania 7 match with Randy Savage, which I thought was stellar. Always love that match, his match with, with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 5. So I'm a big Randy Savage fan. I was always uh, very, you know, very sad when he passed away and uh, very abruptly in 2011. And even fans, you know, even friends that I know that don't watch wrestling know who Randy Savage is. And, you know, a lot of casual fans, of course, are going to know who Randy Savage is. Even if you don't watch the product, the guy had such an impact. He was such an icon in this business that you, you, everyone knew who this guy was from the impersonations to everything, even though his prime wasn't until, you know, 30 years ago. Um, he's still being talked about to this day, alive or dead. So um, it's great to finally see him in the WWE Hall of Fame. I'm, I very much look forward to the video package they put together for him at the Hall of Fame. The one that they did for him the night after he passed away. Well, not the night after, but... A couple of days after, they aired it on the Raw, a few days after his death, three days later, and um, it was to Coldplay, the, the scientist by Coldplay, very, very dramatic, one of my favorite video packages, actually drew a tear from my eye when I watched it for the very first time, it was that emotional. This is coming from a guy that did not grow up watching Randy Savage, I imagine, I can only imagine how other people felt watching that, um, you know, long-term fans, that is long-time fans, when that first aired four or five years ago, that's nuts to think it was that long ago. But um, the video package they put out last night when they made the official announcement I thought was great. A good song, you know, showing all the great clips of him, the Slim Jim stuff, and when he was in his prime, the stuff with Hogan, everything. So, you know, like I said before, it's really, really great to see Randy Savage finally in the WWE Hall of Fame. And uh, who's going to be making the, the, the induction? It's going to be none other than Hulk Hogan. That was announced last night. I believe in the breaking news update on the WWE Network. I have yet to see it. I'll probably go back and watch it at some point. So there's been a lot of controversy about Hulk Hogan being the one to induct Randy Savage into the Hall of Fame. You know, even as big of a Hogan fan as I am, even I, I don't even really necessarily have a problem with it, but I can definitely see the debate and the controversy surrounding it. Seeing how big of a problem that Hogan and Savage had with each other when Savage was still alive, I believe, and I mean, this is Hogan telling the story here. I mean, just listening from the podcast that he did with uh, with Chris Jericho on Talk Is Jericho last week, he talked about this in depth, the thing with Warrior as well, that the two made peace before he passed away. Maybe not right before he passed away, but maybe shortly beforehand. So those two had been uh, had been enemies for a long time, dating back from in the 90s or early 2000s, maybe, and it had been a long time since they had seen each other, finally made peace before Savage passed away. According to Hogan, anyway, the guy's, you know, a known bullshitter, I understand that, but this is according to Hogan, so, I mean, of course, I don't think, personally, that the Poffo family would would give the thumbs up, would give the green light for Hogan to induct Randy if he really had a personal vendetta against him. And of course, it was always up to, according to Lanny, according to what Lanny said, and the mother and whoever else, that Randy would never go in the WWE Hall of Fame unless the entire family was going in. And of course, that's not happening. It's only Randy. But um, still, though, that being said, I do really hope that Lanny will be the one to accept the honor on Randy's behalf and seeing how he will not be there, of course. So it's going to be great to see him, see him cut a speech. I mean, he's been very supportive of the fans. 
I mean, he was a little hard to budge a couple of years ago, like they talked about before. Nothing on him, no disrespect to him. I could see why he didn't want to induct Randy. But, I mean, it got to the point where WWE, um, I mean, it wasn't even on them for the longest time. I think they wanted to induct Randy as far back as maybe... 2012, I want to say, because remember, he passed away in 2011, and I can see why they would have wanted to capitalize on it so soon, and I'm glad they didn't, because it would have really seemed like a very, um, you know, a way to capitalize off the mainstream momentum, the mainstream attention that Randy was getting at that time, so I'm glad they didn't do that, and they held off until a couple years later, especially considering all the people that have gone in recent years, and they wouldn't want to overshadow the San Martinos, or the Warriors, or the Backlands, or the Foley's, so I'm glad they waited this long. Not too, too long, because like I said before, should have been in when he was still alive, but, you know, that that's what, you know, typical WWE, but still, though, um, I'm very happy to finally see him in, and it's been a long time coming, even if it was in 2015 and not in 2012, 2013, 2014, but, um, yeah, like I said before, the whole Hogan induction thing, I don't have a major problem with it, I can see why people would, um, Savage, not Savage, I'm sorry, Steamboat, who someone brought to my attention today, I think it was Randy when we were talking on the podcast, um, would be a great person to induct Savage, considering, you know, their great matches three at WrestleMania three, one of the greatest matches, not only in WrestleMania history, but I think in WWE history. It's one of those matches that people always point back to as a match that, you know, made them realize how big of a wrestling fan they were. It got them into the business, it inspired them, and it showed them that you don't have to be a big guy to make it in this business. It's one of those iconic matches, and I think Steamboat inducting him would have been great as well, but given the on-air and off-air history between Hogan and Savage. I think it's going to be interesting to see Hogan being the one to induct him. But like I said before, if Randy had a lot of heat with him before he passed away, I'm sure Lanny would not have approved of that. So I really don't have that big of an issue with that. So getting to the next thing, kind of digressing off the Randy Savage topic, but staying in the Hall of Fame topic, I was thinking about this last night when I was sitting down watching Raw with John at John Knapp 17 who also I was thinking about having on the podcast. We talked about it last night. He's, he declined the offer, um, if only because he wanted to have his appearances feel special, and I absolutely agree with that. We just had him on two weeks ago to talk about the year in review. Had a great time, though. We watched Raw. We did like 10 hours of booking in, <laughs> and SmackDown versus Raw. 2007 general manager mode for the PlayStation 2. So great time. Uh, always catching up with John is always fun. So great, you know, great seeing him as, as always. But, you know, in talking to him last night after the Randy Savage promo aired, I turned to him and asked him that now that Sam Martino is in, now that the Ultimate Warrior is in, now that Randy Savage is in, who else you feel needs to go in to for the Hall of Fame to feel legitimate? Personally, I feel that now that Savage is in, it is legitimate. Not 100% legitimate. It's all about politics at the end of the day. But um, I do think it is 10 times now more legitimate now that Savage is in. And I, I posed this question to John. I posed this question to people, to you guys on Twitter last night as Raw was going on. And I got a few different answers. A lot of people said The Undertaker and The Rock. Now, those two people, to me, aren't people that stand out as being they need to be in right now. I think the only reason why The Undertaker isn't in right now, because one, he just, quote-unquote, retired a year ago. I mean, he still have no idea whether he's going to be a WrestleMania or not. I hope so. I think he will be. But um, we have no idea if he's going to be even wrestling at WrestleMania 31 this year. So, And I have no issue with him. If he doesn't go in with into the WWE Hall of Fame this year... In, uh, in Santa Clara, in California, WrestleMania 31, have no issue with that whatsoever. They have years upon years upon years to induct him. Um, it's not like with Edge or HBK. Like with Edge, when they inducted him in 2012, a year after he retired, 
his contract with WWE was coming to an end, and they don't want, I mean, I highly doubt they would ever have bad blood between Edge and WWE, but they wanted to induct him on his final year with, uh, with his contract before um, he was let go and whatever else, before he was officially, you know, um, parted ways with the company, so I can understand that, but... Undertaker, there will always be a spot for him in the WWE Hall of Fame, so that's not like an ASAP thing. He will be in, I don't think it's going to be next year with Savage headlining this year. We're going to need another headliner that's actually going to be there, so maybe Sting, but um, I would have no problem with Undertaker. He's going to be in at some point. We all know that. Savage, San Martino, Warrior, we never knew if they were going to be in because of all the bad blood. You know Taker is going to be in, so that's ridiculous. The Rock is an interesting one because I've been saying The Rock for a very long time now. I thought he was going to be inducted over WrestleMania 28 weekend when he came back for the one more match with John Cena. Of course, as it would turn out, that was not one more match. It was not even one more run. He's had a lot of matches since then. So um, it's probably wise in WWE's part had that, you know, since they did not do it that weekend because they probably want to wait for Rock to officially be done with wrestling before they induct him. So he's another guy that stands out to me as not being like he needs to go in ASAP because I still feel he has one more run slash match in him, whether it be, I don't think it's going to be this year, but whether it be next year or the year after or whenever, Probably either that weekend where he wrestles his final match at WrestleMania or has that one final run or the following year, he'll definitely be inducted. So Rock and Undertaker are two people you don't have to worry about in terms of being inducted because I'm sure they'll be inducted at some point. The Hall of Fame is not legitimate without them or isn't not legitimate if that makes any sense. It's not like the Hall of Fame is is illegitimate right now without them in it because um, I'm sure they'll be in it at some point. Like the same thing with Triple H. He's another guy like... He doesn't need to be in right now. He's still an active competitor. He's not wrestling in every Raw, of course. But you know he's going to be wrestling from time to time, much like The Rock. We'll, still, we'll, we'll see with The Undertaker, but I'm sure he'll have you know maybe another, another match, another run, another appearance. We'll have to wait and see. So those are two people that a lot of people pointed out to me on Twitter on in terms of them being in the WWE Hall of Fame. Another person that John brought to my attention that I completely forgot about for some reason, Owen Hart. Owen Hart is due for a WWE Hall of Fame induction that also falls in the same boat as the Warriors, the San Martino, as the Savages, and that his family, um, I forgot what his wife's name was, Brent, not Brenda, uh, geez, Martha, I think it was, I'm not exactly sure, I think it was Martha, and, uh, you know, a lot of bad blood for those between those two sides for obvious reasons after Owen Hart's death in 1999 and everything that happened, of course. So, you know, if Hart can make up with WWE, and he made up with WWE, <coughs> you know, after he was already inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. He was inducted back in 2006, but he really wasn't... I mean, technically, he made amends to be inducted. And he You know, he was there at the ceremony, but he wouldn't really come back into full-time. He wouldn't sign a contract with them. He wouldn't sign a full-time contract until 2010 when he came back. So about four years later... Um, but with Owen Hart now, now that he's gone, he's another guy like Randy Savage. It's going to suck, you know, since he's not going to be there in person to accept the award. But um, he needs, he's another guy that deserves to be in there. ASAP, great talent, legendary icon, deserves to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And I look forward to that moment when he eventually is in there. You know, whether it be this year, next year, the year after, it doesn't really matter. But Owen Hart is another guy that needs to go in ASAP. There's, of course, a lot of other names that aren't really coming to mind right now. Rick Rude, who I talked about with RJ a while ago, um, is definitely a guy that needs to go in at some point. I think Rick Rude is due for a Hall of Fame induction. ASAP. Lex Luger, probably at some point. Vader, I'm surprised, isn't already in. Um, Vader deserves to be in there. Kevin Nash, who probably isn't likely for this year. But, um, of course, due to the whole arrest thing and everything else going on with Kevin Nash right now, that's probably not too, too likely right now, but at some point... 
China for the women, I think, deserves to go in at some point. China has to go in, given all the, you know, the, the major impact that she had on not only women's west wrestling, but, you know, the WWE as a whole for the time that she was with the company. And the only women to ever hold the Intercontinental Championship, the only women, the first woman to enter the Royal Rumble matchup and everything else that, you know, she made a major impact in during her time with the WWE in the late 90s and early 2000s. So China, I know, you know, her bad blood with WWE uh, is very well documented, but I think she's another one that deserves to be in at some point. And also in terms of the women, Alundra Blaze, uh, one of the first pioneers of women's wrestling in WWE, one of the first women's champions. She deserves to be in at some point. When, I mean, I don't know, when Medusa, a.k.a., you know, of course, from WCW, the same woman that put the <coughs> WWE Women's Championship in the trash when she moved over to WCW, um, you know, that that's probably why she hasn't gotten in, because someone brought to my attention not too long ago that a lot of the people like Rick Rude or Lex Luger or uh, Medusa, a.k.a. Alunda Blaze, all these people that quote-unquote backstabbed Vince during the Monday Night Wars and jumped over to WCW and never made a return were the ones that have yet to get induction. So that was a pretty point to, to that was pretty interesting to point out. So maybe we see one of those guys or, or girls in there at some point. Miss Elizabeth is another person that stands out to me is that, you know, she should have been a long time ago being one of the first valets and her whole, of course, her whole storied history with Macho Man and everything else. I don't know if they were waiting until Macho Man went in or whatever the case was, but there's no better year to do it than this year. They don't even have to go in together, just do one and the other, and she could be the woman for this year that we usually get. A celebrity, uh, maybe we get two women this year, because I would love to see Cindy Lauper in. I thought she was going to go in last year. We had Booker, um, not Booker T, Mr. T. Booker T was the year prior. Mr. T this past year, or last year, WrestleMania 30, which was great. I thought he was very well-deserving, of course. Cindy Lauper, with all the contributions that, that she's had to wrestling in the rock and roll wrestling area, and everything around then, and the 80s and whatever, she deserves a WWE Hall, indu- Hall of Fame induction in the celebrity wing. So, those are a few names that I would love to see inducted this year. I've talked about this before, but Jim Johnson, the guy behind all the WWE theme songs, from everyone from DX to The Undertaker to Stone Cold Steve Austin, very underappreciated talent. It was Ultimate Warrior himself last year at his you know, Hall of Fame induction speech that he talked about a man whose name escapes me right now. I have to go back and watch it, but he was, you know, he had a very, he played a huge hand backstage in whatever he did. And um, Warrior said in his speech that a wing should be open for him in the WWE Hall of Fame, which I thought was awesome. And hopefully they do start that either this year or at some point, and that could be great. So transitioning from the WWE Hall of Fame talk, I'll talk briefly about my time at TNA before getting to Raw. There's not a lot of stuff from Raw, so I don't really want to go too in-depth with that. There's not going to be a full-on Raw review this week. But I do want to talk about TNA Impact Wrestling from last week. I know it's a week old. But I um, had a hell of a time last week in New York City in the Manhattan Center. Uh, this was my first or my second TNA show. My first one was last August in the same venue, Manhattan Center, New York City. If you haven't been, you absolutely need to be. I mean, if you live on the other side of the country, it's a little bit different. But if you do live in the area, if you live in Connecticut, Massachusetts, or New York itself, there's really no reason why you shouldn't go. It's a great time, great experience. TNA always puts on some of the best shows, regardless of what you think of the company. And um, I've had a lot of people say, is this really the rebirth of TNA? Are they really turning a new corner? Only time will tell. I don't want to jump to conclusions and say yes. And being there in attendance and watching it on TV were two very different things. But even watching it back on TV the next day, I thought it was a really good show. Being there in, in attendance, an amazing show. And I mean, this may come across as being um, a, a bold statement to some, but 
one of, if not the second best or the best wrestling event I've ever attended live, right up there with that episode of Monday Night Raw I went to last year, last June, in the XL Center in Hartford, um, one of the best Raws of 2014, and this Impact show I thought was fantastic for the return of Awesome Kong, for the two title changes, for the big heel turns later on in the night. Just a great experience all around, and I'm still recovering from the sickness that I had last week, and I went to New York City with the cold, the cough, the everything, and, um, you know, just, you know, coming off of that, and it was still well worth it, you know, even going there sick was an absolute hell of a time, so I loved every single second of it, but, um, yeah, the show on the whole, we got there right around showtime, or when it was at least supposed to start around 7 o'clock, and thankfully, they didn't end up starting until about... 7.15, 7.20, and I was live tweeting during the show, and some people were asking me, oh, it's not live after all, and I mean, of course it's not. Any any live show that TNA has done for the last two to three years now, I think, because the live shows that they did back in the Impact Zone when they were going live every week, I think we're actually, indeed, we're live, but um, every time they've gone on the road and they do a live show from time to time, it's always on an hour tape delay. I don't know why. Um, it was definitely for the better this time, and I'll get to that in a, re- in a, in a second, um, for a, a variety of reasons. And it was definitely for the better that it worked out for TNA that they did do a tape delay. But that's just the way they do things, so I didn't really have a big problem with it. But um, it did, I think there was an hour, there was a portion of the show when we were like in the last few matches of our show, they were already starting to air the beginning of the portion of the show at you know on Destination America. So the show didn't end up starting until about 7.15, 7.20. Jeremy Boras comes out. He had been out in the ring <coughs> for a while. And to Jeremy Boras's credit, he does a great job of riling up the crowd. And it's, like anything, it's unlike anything you've ever experienced before in terms of crowd engagement and, you know, being loud and getting the people pumped up. You know, he doesn't, he's a master of that kind of stuff. More so in TNA than in WWE. Because in, in WWE, there's such a massive audience with tens of thousands of people in and at a TNA show there wasn't hardly even 500 people there I would say maybe two to three hundred at most so um it's a completely different environment obviously but got to give credit where credit is due to Jeremy Boras he does a great job of what he does but um yeah we kicked off the show with that massive brawl we did not see the video package with the people coming off the bus or at least I didn't when I came in the building around 7:15, 7:05, whatever it was um, I didn't see the opening. I didn't see it until I got home. I saw rave reviews for the opening. I thought it was awesome. Um, something very unique. I thought the music was very well chosen. I thought that was great. But uh, the show for us started with Jeremy Boras talking about, you know, just the rebirth of Impact Wrestling and the Manhattan Center and everything else, blah, 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 blah. And the big brawl breaks out, and it was massive. The place was going crazy. I don't know if it came across the well on TV, and I watched it back, and I just can't remember but the crowd all Wednesday night long, I thought was amazing. And I mean, I'm just not being biased here, but um, everyone was on their feet the entire time. The chants were hilarious. There were a couple chants like MVP Pussy. They would shut the fuck up to. Um, I, it was either MVP or Ethan Carter III or both maybe. There was MVP Penis. There were so many chants. Um, MVP Penis made it because it's not a swear, obviously. But the MVP Pussy chanted did not make it on TV. The the shut the fuck up chant didn't make it on TV. The holy shit chant didn't make it on TV. There was so much stuff that had to get edited out, and I was so pissed watching it back. Not because it got cut it out, but because not because it got edited out, but because it did in such a piss poor manner. Like they cut over the the audio, they cut over the commentary. They just took out the audio completely. They didn't even beep it out, which probably would have been less annoying. So that was a little weird the way they handled it. But uh, yeah, we were just a rowdy crowd all night long. And from where we were sitting, I was sitting in the upper right balcony. Like if you come into the Manhattan Center, 
and there was a stage right in front of you. I was sitting to the right, up above in the balcony. We were sitting um, in the front row, right next to the railing. So we got great seats, got a lot of great pictures. If you want to check them out, nextairwrestling.weebly.com. All the pictures that I took of the event and an exclusive video, which is also up right now on the Facebook page. I'll probably put it on YouTube at some point if it doesn't get taken down. But uh, usually that, that happens from time to time with the WWE and TNA videos. But it currently is right now on the Facebook page. I took a video of Bobby Lashley winning the TNA World Heavyweight Championship in the reaction to him getting uh, Bobby Roode getting screwed out of the title when Joe turned heel, low key, and Eric Young. It's a really cool video, so go back and check it out on my Facebook page if you want to see that. But uh, yeah, from where we were sitting, first row in the upper right balcony, we're sitting right there. The brawl kicks off the show. You see two wrestlers in the front, like on the ground, just brawling. I'm thinking, oh, that's a cool way to kick off the show. Abyss and whoever the hell else it was. And then fucking Bobby Lashley, Loki, Eric Young, and Magnus all come out from where we were sitting, right behind us. I mean, like, right behind us. Only mere feet away from where I was sitting slash standing. And it was nuts. They were going all out. They were throwing each other into the wall. And there was trash everywhere after the bra was done. There were some dents in the wall afterwards. Like, they were really trashing this place up. Um, there was even one point where, like, Bobby Lashley had picked up low-key above his, above his shoulders and was going to fucking toss him off the railing and into the crowd. Like, it was nuts. And you know that he wasn't actually going to do it, but it just got you riled up just thinking about it. And it was absolutely crazy. And the, bar, and the brawl came to a close, and low-key standing, like, right next to me. Got a lot of great pictures of that. If you want to check it out on the Next Year Wrestling page, if you want to... Um, you know, right here on the website where you're listening to the show, under event photos, if you want to check it out. But we were so close to low-key, got to touch his hand. He was right there. And the only thing that pissed me off about it was not when I was there, but when watching it back on the TV, they didn't even film that part of the brawl. Like, I heard there were a lot of production mistakes on Wednesday, like when um, when Jeremy Boras slapped EC3, which I also missed in the arena, too, so I was pretty pissed. I was actually looking at my phone when that happened, and I was hoping to catch it on TV, but even not even the camera made it. It was ridiculous. But um, there were a lot of camera errors, and when I was watching it back on the next day on Destination America... They didn't even film that part of the brawl. They filmed the ground brawl. They filmed a balcony brawl between fucking the Rockstar Spud and Robbie E. But they didn't show the brawl that Bobby Lashley was having with Eric Young and, and Loki and Magnus. Like, it was insane up there. It was the best brawl of them all, in my personal opinion, from what I saw anyway. And they didn't even show that. Like, when Kurt Angle directed his attention to each of the champions, saying, you're going to be in a title match tonight. You're going to be in a title match tonight. You know, saying, everyone's going to be in a title match tonight. And his Oprah Winfrey voice. And uh, I'm standing right next to Loki. I'm going crazy. I'm thinking that I'm going to be on TV. I'm standing right next to fucking Loki. And I thought it was awesome. But when I'm watching it back on TV, when they're making the announcement, or when Kurt Angle's making the announcement, all they show is Kurt Angle. They don't even show Caval. So... Nice botch in the camera's part, uh, on, the, on the cameraman's part. I was a little pissed about that. I could have made it on TV about that. Uh, I, I could have made it on TV in that one little segment had the fucking cameraman not fucked up. But um, it was a great segment to kick off the show, though. We transitioned from that into Kurt Angle versus MVP. Crowd loved Kurt Angle. Really fun match to kick off the show. Not the wrestling classic you would expect from Kurt Angle and MVP. But it was a really good match. Kurt Angle's first match back in maybe 10 months or so. So it was notable in that respect. So I enjoyed that. Like I said before, the MVP pussy chance during this match. The MVP in his chance, which did not get edited out when I watched it back. But the MVP pussy chance did. They were loud and proud. Like these people were going crazy all night long. So we go from that match. And this was really where the controversy lied. With that very, very, very long break. 
And uh, we were being told that we had a lot of commercial breaks. And I didn't understand why we had to, com- had to have commercial breaks in the arena, um, you know, being there live, because we weren't live. We, they didn't go live until 9 o'clock. The show started at 7.15, 7.30. So, you know, that didn't make much sense to me why they were having, you know, so many breaks. And it kind of killed the crowd at some points, especially right after the Angle MVP match. Because for such maybe like 15, 20 minutes, like no commercial break is that long. No commercial break, I would shoot myself if it was, is 20, 15 minutes long. And like that made no sense. And um, it was just going on forever and ever and ever. And Jeremy Borash is in the ring trying to kill time. People chanting our... Yeah, you know, our training. We want wrestling. This is bullshit. And Jeremy Borash, like, uh, you know, took off his jacket and almost wrestled the referee at some point. People cheered and then they made up and everyone started booing. It was really funny. But uh, yeah, everyone started to get pissed after a while when we really weren't getting any wrestling. It was really weird because I think the worst part about it was that they really didn't explain it. Jeremy Borash was just sitting in, or standing in the ring. Just, you know, just going on and off about all this other random shit. And you know that he was stalling. It was so, so obvious. And uh, they, the least they could have done was, you know, explain that we're having some technical difficulties. Because they obviously were. Because from where I was sitting, I was not sitting in the section next to the commentators like I was the last taping that I went to. But I was sitting in the next section over. But um, Taz and Josh were right in visible view. I mean, they were right there. And um, Jeremy Borash was in the ring. And he said, we'll take it up to... Josh and Taz in just a few seconds, and Taz looked up from you know he the Josh and Taz are messing with their papers on their on their table, and he looks up at GB and he's like, no, no, we're not ready yet. He didn't say that, but you could tell that from the look on his eyes. It was really weird. So they obviously were having some technical difficulties. A lot of the stage hands were coming over to them and trying to fix some stuff, and then for a long period of time they were just standing. Um, you know, with their backs against the wall, just on their phone the entire time. Like, I don't know what they possibly could have been doing, but it was embarrassing. So that was definitely the low point of the night. But if that was the only low point of the night, then you know it was a great night because everything else was awesome. But that just itself was a little strange. And um, I'm not going to go match by match by match here, but all the title matches were great. The World Tag Team title match, that was really fun. The Wolves were really over. The four toupees, I guess, the, the, the suicide dives off onto Storm and... Abyss at ringside, I thought were great. The crowd really loved that. The fact they went four times over, so um, they loved that. That was a great spot. The match itself was really fun. I love the Hardys. They you know made no quick appearance at ringside. Matt Hardy actually wrestled a singles match to close off the to close off the show. Not this show, but the explosion tapings against Manic. I think it was. So it's cool to see him being the big Matt Hardy fan that I am. But, um, yeah, very fun tag team match. Jeff Hardy gets involved, inadvertently costing the Wolves a matchup, setting up their contest for the Thursday night tapings, which will probably air this upcoming Friday on Impact Wrestling. So we got that really good matchup there. And then we also had the X Division Championship up for grabs in a really good matchup. I mean, there was really no meaning behind it. Austin Aries is, what, like a five-time, a six-time X Division champion. I lost count. And as much as I love Austin Aries, the least he could have done was give this, this guy some mic time or something. The guy just continues to win these titles without them ever really mean any, meaning anything. It was just ridiculous. But um, it was a really good match, though. Got a nice split crowd reaction for both Loki and Austin Aries, who were both very much over. Great match. Austin Aries picked up the victory, like I said before. New X Division champion crown, so enjoy the matchup, enjoy the title change, being the big Austin Aries fan that I am. It would have been nice, though, if they made that title change mean something by putting him in chase mode or not having him lose the belt right away, low-key, that is. It was just really, really random, but like I said, being in attendance, you don't give a fuck about that kind of stuff. You just love every step of the way, so I thought that was a really good match. Austin Aries wins the X Division title. 
Um, we also had that brief segment with EC3, Jeremy Borash, Tyrus, and Rockstar Spud. Good for what it was. Um, I'm a big, not, did I say Tyrus or Burtis Clay? I think I said Tyrus. Um, definitely not Burtis guy. But uh, I'm a big fan of his. I think he actually followed me on Twitter after that segment, after I tweeted him a picture of someone in the in, in attendance. They were down below. I took a picture of the sign, but it was a really shitty picture because it was so dark in there, and I'll talk about that at the end. But um, it was a nice sign that said, Tyrus, I'm gonna, I need you to call my mom or something like that. It was hilarious. But, um, yeah, this was a nice segment for what it was. EC3 is really coming onto his own as a heel. He's doing a really, really good job. Rockstar Spud is over as a babyface. He was really, really over in his explosion match against, I think it was Robbie E. And that was a really good match. I don't know when that's going to air, but that was a really, really good match. So I enjoyed that. But, uh, yeah, solid segment here between Rockstar Spud and EC3 furthering that feud and shaving Jeremy Boris bald. And as they would show also on their YouTube page, um, a couple days later, they put it up. They put up the content on their YouTube page. Jeremy Borash actually did shave his head. They did. He did shave his head on the tapings themselves. Went backstage, shaved out the rest of his hair, and he was back out with no hair later on in the evening doing commentary, or not doing commentary, but doing ring announcing for the explosion matches. So he was not too hurt after all to do the ring announcing for those matches. But um, yeah, solid segment there. We had the knockouts battle royal. Really nothing of note. The match itself was nothing special. But, um, of course, we had Brooke making her return, attacking Robbie E. Robbie E., I'm not going to go on a big rant about this right now. Not a rant, technically. I know this is Russell Rant Radio. But Robbie E. is a guy that I've been following for maybe five, six years now. You know, not intentionally. But, I mean, um, when my brother and I started going to the Northeast Wrestling Indie events back in May of 2009, Robbie E. actually competed in my very first indie match against Frankie Aaron in Northeast Wrestling. And I've been a big fan of his ever since. I'm not a fan of the whole Jersey Shore gimmick. I mean, it was hot back in, like, 2010. It was the thing to do. It was, you know, the mainstream thing. It got him attention. But it's 2015. The guy's been in the company for five years by this point, which is crazy to think about. And um, it's just not relevant anymore. They need to come up with a new gimmick for the guy. And I thought they were going to do that by introducing him with a new gimmick and him breaking away from the bromance. I am not a bromance fan. I've said that um, on many occasions in the past, and I am not a bromance fan whatsoever. I'm a big fan of Robbie E. I think he's a great talent. I don't think he can ever be world champion. But um, I think right now, if there was any chance, if there was ever an opportunity to relaunch this guy's career as a serious competitor, I mean, it's hard to do. The guy was a comedy figure for so long, it might be hard for the fans to see him as anything different than a comedy figure, and he does comedy so well. But I think it's time to finally break him off as something serious. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think it's worth a shot because the guy's a really good wrestler. And I think he deserves a lot more than what he's getting right now. And at least the programming with Brooke has some potential. They're, you know, stemming off real-life issues, if they even really are broken up. I don't know if it's all a part of the storyline or if they really did break up and they're tying that into the storyline. I have no idea. But um, I do look forward to the evolution, so to speak, of Robbie E. if they go in that direction going forward. So after the Knockouts Battle Royal, Taryn uh, Terrell successfully retains her Knockouts title, gets attacked by Havoc after the matchup, and you know something's going to happen, but... There was a rumor of this woman returning earlier on in the day, but I did not read about it. I was not on the dirt sheets at the time. No one tweeted me about it. I was so happy. And, you know, a, a complete something very, very similar to when I was at Raw. Again, one of my favorite attends, uh, one of my favorite events they've ever attended, Monday Night Raw, the same show that Jericho returned at, where no one spoiled it for me. It was on the dirt sheets earlier in the day, but no one spoiled it. Same thing with this return. So Havoc attacking Taryn Terrell. Lights go out. It's just crazy. Everyone's like, what's going on? What's going on? Who's going to come out? It's nuts. The lights go back on. 
Awesome Kong, the former Karma, in the ring. An amazing reaction. By far the biggest pop of the night, hands down. Like, nothing came close. The place came unglued. I looked at the guy next to me. We're marking the fuck out together because we knew how special this was. Because Awesome Kong is someone that has gone on record before, like... I don't know if you would uh, you would compare her to being the awesome the, like the ultimate warrior of TNA, but you know she's gone on the record before and saying I never ever ever want to go back to TNA. There is a very very good chance you'll never ever see me there again. And I'm not even talking about interviews from three four years ago. She said in an interview back in like late last year, so she did a very good job of keeping that a secret and that she was coming back to the company, maybe with new management now, maybe things cooled over between the two sides. It's great to see. I know a lot of people were disappointed that she didn't return to WWE. I was a little disappointed too, as awesome as it was, no pun intended, to see her back in TNA. Sure, I was a little disappointed to not see her back in WWE. Um, you know, of course, she has some unfinished business with the Bella Twins, and they had a lot of dream matches they could have done with her and AJ Lee and whoever else. Like, you know, I was on that bandwagon back at SummerSlam. I was the one that pitched the idea that Karma come in and be the new heavy for Stephanie McMahon to feud with Brie Bella or AJ or whoever um, after SummerSlam last year. And, of course, that didn't happen, but it it would have been so amazing because she left on good terms. It wasn't, I mean, I think it was a mutual um, departure from Karma both and WWE back in the summer of 2012. It was just so mind-boggling to me. They never really brought her back. She wasn't in a great state of mind at that point after the whole, uh, I think she had a miscarriage in late 2011, so God bless her. I mean, with everything that happened to her, but, um, you know, everything that's happened between the two sides over the last couple of years, I thought she would have been back at some point. It sucks that she's not back right now. But that doesn't mean that doesn't rule out a return to WWE completely. I mean, she could always return at some point down the line. But the bottom line is that she's back on my TV. Awesome Kong. You know, as great as it could have been to see her in WWE, we know how great she could be in TNA. Like, that's the bottom line. I don't know who I said this to. But in WWE, she could have had a good run. Like, we know, you know, that had a lot of potential to be something great back in 2011 when she was doing the whole Barbie thing and she came in and she took out Michelle McCool. Like, there was a lot of awesome stuff there. There There's, no pun intended, again, there's a lot of stuff to be excited about. But my only real fear with Karma in WWE is that, you know, I've talked to this at length before on here and in many other platforms, is that they don't treat the Divas right. They never, ever do anything with the Divas division in the right way, like they did with the women down in NXT, but never, ever the Divas division. And that's on WWE. That's not on the talent. Like, I'm not a fan of Rosa Mendez. I think she sucks as a wrestler, but um, for the Natalias, for the Naomis, for the AJ Lees, for the Pages, they have the talent. It's the, the issue is not the talent on the main roster. It's the way they're portrayed. It's the way they're perceived. It's the way they're booked. Their matches, they're only two minutes. Last night is a prime example. Page versus uh, Brie Bella. What a waste of a match. Neither two have any real defined characters right now. Both turned randomly. The match lasted all of two minutes. I just couldn't find myself caring about that matchup. So... I don't really have any hope at all that Karma would have been utilized to her full potential in WWE. So maybe going back to TNA was the best thing for her. They have a hell of a knockouts division right now. And of course, the countdown begins until her inevitable return or rematches with uh, Gail Kim. Those two put the knockouts division on the map back in like 2007, 2008. So I look forward to the amazing matches that they're bound to have in, in, in TNA. So I look forward to that. So her versus Gail Kim, maybe if Mickey James comes back at some point. That was the match that actually almost happened at an indie event that I went to back in 2010. And it didn't come to fruition because Karma had to miss the show for some reason. And Mickey James, I think, wrestled Maya Yim from the independent scene. So, um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Awesome Kong in, in TNA. I look forward to what she brings to the table. 
I'm not more so excited for her match with Havoc. Havoc is is not great. Um, she's okay, but like I said before, I'm more excited for her matches with Gil Kim in her run in TNA as a whole. So that got the biggest reaction out of anybody on that show. That was stellar. And then we get to the main event, Bobby Lashley versus The Rue for the TNA World Heavyweight title. And um, the match was good. It didn't really feel, didn't really match the same, um, you know, the, I mean, they really build it up well on TV and being like a big marquee matchup and it being the third and final encounter between Bobby Roode and Lashley. They did a great job of that on commentary. And by the way, Josh Matthews and Taz, I think, are a great commentary duo. I was never the biggest fan of Josh Matthews in WWE, but I think he's more straightforward. He's a lot better when he's just you know, straightforward, and he's not cutting jokes with Michael Cole. Like, they were unbearable to listen to, like, in NXT a couple years ago when they were doing the, the Diva show, the, the season three of NXT. I think in this role, he's a lot better. It's a lot better than hearing Mike Tanay and Taz together. And as they texted back and forth with John a couple days ago, that Tanay, as big of a legend as he is, um, you know, he just made that product so stale for the longest time, they really need to switch him out. So it was a smart move to do that. And, uh, you know, they found another role for him. He's not going to go anywhere. Then again, I thought the same thing about Don West, and he was a part of the um, the sales department for a very long time before he got cut a couple of years ago, so that sucks. But I think Mike Tenay has enough stroke with the company that that's not going to happen to him. He's going to continue to do interviews like we saw on the show. He's going to continue to do his own show. I think uh, not Lockdown. He's Unlocked or something like that on Saturdays, which I will not be tuning into. I can't even tune into TNA Live because um, I do get Destination America... Uh, you know, living at home, of course, for the next few weeks before I go back to school. But at school itself, I do not get Destination America. It's one of those premium channels or whatever. So I'm probably going to have to find it online somewhere. And it airs on Fridays anyway. So even if I did get the channel, I probably wouldn't even watch it live. <coughs> it's going to be airing starting this Friday in its new time slot of 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 11 o'clock. Or 8 Central Time, 9 Eastern Time. So, you know, I, I probably wouldn't even watch anyway live. But, um, you know, still, I do look forward to watching TNA because I think they had a great show on Wednesday. But, yeah, going back to what I was saying before, and I'm sorry for, you know, branching off here. The world title match between Lashley and Rude was really, really good. Didn't really match the, you know, the same feel of their previous matches. But you knew something was bound to happen when the two guys with masks came out with MVP and Kenny King and the screw job uh, commenced with the heel turns of Samoa Joe, Lowkey, and Eric Young. Doesn't make any sense? Absolutely not. I mean, Eric Young was MVP's biggest rival only a couple of months ago. So from a storyline standpoint, it makes absolutely no sense. I can see why a lot of people are saying that, you know, typical TNA, same old TNA, same old bullshit. I understand that. Being in the arena, I thought it was really cool. I mean, of course it's going to seem it's going to seem 10 times better in person than it will on TV. I understand that. And being there in person, I thought it was, you know, really really cool to witness. And like I said before, I took a video of it currently on the Facebook page, maybe up on YouTube at some point. Graham G. Matthews on Facebook. If you want to check it out, it should be right on the on the timeline if you want to see it. Um, I think I uploaded it on Saturday. But, um, yeah, I'm not a real huge fan of the title change. I think Rude was just, you know, catching his stride as champion. Only won the title a few months ago. And half of his reign they weren't even on TV for. But um, still, though, I think Bobby Lashley is due for a babyface turn. They need a top face at this point. They have Rude. They have Angle. <clears throat> They're going to turn Lashley at some point, too. And, you know, with all the heels they have now, they have MVP, they have Kenny King, they have Joe, Loki, Young, EC3, James Storm, the entire revolution. They have a lot of they have a lot of strong heels right now, but strong baby faces too. So I'm sure they're going to be turning Lashley face um, sooner rather than later. They have Rude up there, like I said before, Angle back in competition. If they can push Austin Aries back towards the main event, that could be really, really cool. So I look forward to that. 
But um, yeah, that closed out the show. We also had a few explosion matches like I talked about before. And uh, those weren't really anything too, too notable. But um, yeah, really fun night of the whole. We ended up getting back at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Was, uh, the train didn't leave until like 11.25. It's like an hour and a half ride, almost two hour drive or ride from there. Drive from the train station back to my place. So um, yeah, really fun night in the whole. Absolutely going back to TNA the next time they come in the area. Hopefully the Manhattan Center, whether it be in March. I, there were rumors of them going back to the Impact Zone in March. So um, doesn't look like that. That, that, that looks like it's going to be a no-go at this point. Still, though, um, they are bound to come back to the Manhattan Center at some point. They came in here for the, the June tapings, the August tapings, and now January. So I was really glad that it all really worked out. I was home for the show. I was able to go despite the sickness, whatever. Um, it was awesome. So I look forward to taking John next You know, the, the next time I go. And I look forward to taking him with me as well. I'm sure he would love it. But, um, yeah, that was TNA. Monday Night Raw last night. Like I said before, I don't want to do a full-on review. It was not a great show. It was a pretty deplorable show. A little better from last week. That's not saying much, but it was an improvement very, very slightly. Daniel Bryan had a very good segment. I thought that was one of the highlights of the show. I thought him, Stephanie, and Kane did a good job. Um, A lot of people are not excited to see Daniel Bryan versus Kane on Thursday. Um, I understand that, but it's a logical first opponent for Daniel Bryan, seeing how it was Kane who put out Daniel Bryan in the first place last April. I mean, technically, you know, Kane or Daniel Bryan wrestled after that. I mean, remember, he he uh, Kane attacked Daniel Bryan on the commentating table that those few times. If you, you know, they showed the footage of it last night, but they wrestled that Extreme Rules match like two weeks after that. And his last technical match in WWE, Bryan, that is before he you know came down with the injury, was against like Del Rio on Raw. So you know, his, his, that was not the be all end all of Daniel Bryan in storyline. It was, but. Technically, that wasn't the last time we saw him on TV, but whatever. It's, it's WWE's booking of it. That's their way of seeing it. But um, I think it's a fine first opponent for Daniel Bryan. I look forward to SmackDown on Thursday nights. I've talked about this at length before here on the show, especially when the rumors of SmackDown going to Thursdays first started up, in that I don't think SmackDown going to Thursdays will include will improve the quality of the show too, too much. Um, it might for like the first two weeks or so, like advertising Daniel Bryan's in-ring return and everything else. Maybe they'll do a title change at some point, either this week, next week, maybe even the week after. I'll be there in attendance, so it could be awesome if I saw like a live title change or something. I think it's going to be the live, the second, not live, but the second SmackDown on Thursdays, so they could be, you know, planning something big. I really, really hope so. But um, yeah, looking forward to SmackDown on Thursdays, this upcoming Thursday. We'll be watching, hopefully live on Sci-Fi. Really looking forward to that. But yeah, Daniel Bryan's segment from Raw was really, really good. Enjoyed that. Stephanie's segment with with him was good as well. They both have very good chemistry. I don't know if I'm looking forward to another Daniel Bryan authority feud, but if it means we're getting Bryan versus Lesnar at Mania, then I'm all for it. Roman Reigns' promo was an absolute abortion. I've talked about this. Um, in my raw review, right here on the website, next to wrestling.weebly.com, if you want to check it out, the promo was absolutely horrendous. And this is coming from a guy that liked Roman Reigns, uh, who likes Roman Reigns. Don't take this as Roman Reigns hate, as, you know, anti-WC, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, I'm a fan of Roman Reigns, and as I've said time and time again, I would take him getting shoved down my throat as opposed to John Cena. At least, at the very, very least, it's something new. That said... It must be Daniel Bryan going to WrestleMania for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. It absolutely has to be. There is no reason why Roman Reigns should win that Royal Rumble matchup. He had a good match last night with Luke Harper, you know, albeit, but um, the promo itself was not good. It's not even fully his fault. I mean, it's more so the writers and whatever the hell they're giving him. I, I heard a rumor that Vince is writing all the material for him, which is deplorable if that's the case. 
But um, the guy simply, you know, simply stated is not ready for main events status at WrestleMania. That's as simply as I could say it. I like Roman Reigns. I think he is a future star if they can stay the course. But they're quickly turning the fans on him with all this crappy, crappy material. And that look no further than that, than that promo from Raw. I thought that was deplorable. Throw in a, a lousy Big Show promo and you get yourself one of the worst segments in recent memory. But like I said, it's not Roman Reigns' fault. 100%. It is, you know, technically. I mean, he's not doesn't have the most charisma in the world. But, you know, he was getting over on his own when he was... Not on his own, but when he was a part of the Shield and he was... The cool guy in the room when he was saying very, very little. But now that they're scripting his promos, it comes across as so campy and bad. It's like they're intentionally trying to turn this guy heel. It was so fucking bad. Like, I can't even stress how deplorable that promo was. And it just goes to show, he is not ready for WrestleMania. It's not on Roman Reigns, but his development is not where it should be. He just, he, It's not, just not. Daniel Bryan's story is set in stone. He needs to come back and win the match he should have won last year. And headline WrestleMania... For that WWE World Heavyweight Championship. I can't say it any simpler than that. Um, Daniel Bryan has to win the Royal Rumble. Sorry Roman Reigns. Your time will come at some point. But um, you know, like I said in the past. I think if they repeat history. And have Roman Reigns win this year. They're going to get an exact repeat. Of what happened with Batista last year. No doubt about it. Mark my words. This is not a bold prediction. I'm not the only one you know, making this prediction. But um, they will absolutely get a repeat of last year if they stay the course with Roman Reigns and him winning the Rumble. If he wins the Rumble, he will absolutely get bill, get booed out of the building, especially by that Philly crowd. Um, it's a Philly. I think it's in Philadelphia this year. So it's it's going to be an interesting night for Roman Reigns come the Royal Rumble. I will definitely say that much. So we we didn't get much else last night on Raw. We had Cena versus Rollins for what felt like the millionth time. Didn't really care for that. That was obviously just filler. Another payment promo, which I thought was really, really good, but obviously just filler until the contract signing later on the night, which I thought was actually really, really good. For a show that was not really all that great, I thought this was kind of a lousy show, I thought that was a great way of going off the show. John Cena was good, Brock Lesnar was good, Paul Heyman was of course great, and Seth Rollins has really come onto his own, you know, since the heel turn back in June, but more so in the last couple of months. We know in being the top heel in the company with Randy Orton taking a back seat and now turning babyface and Big Show and Kane should not be top heels in any organization in 2015. But um, Seth Rollins has really come a long way since his heel turn back in June. There were a lot of people, myself included, that were very skeptical of him turning heel back in June. And, oh, why wasn't it Ambrose? Could have, why couldn't it have been Reigns? And, you know, Ambrose, uh, or I'm sorry, Rollins has really surprised us all with all of his mic work. And I've had some people tell me in the past that, you know, his mic work had always been great, dating back to his ROH days. But his mic work in WWE, maybe it was just a nervousness, I don't know. But Rollins, if you go back and watch his NXT promos, they were not good. Trust me, his NXT promos back in 2012 were really not that good. They weren't even that great when he got, you know, promoted to the main roster, part of the Shield, Dean Ambrose was the best talker of those three, hands down. But, uh, you know, since then, he's really come a long way. As long as they don't make him talk for a long time, he can really shine on the mic. And I think last night was really his coming out party, so to speak, in that he got the better of not uh, of both not only John Cena, but of the WWE, <coughs> the WWE World Heavyweight Champion as well, Brock Lesnar. He ended the show looking stronger than ever, um, taking up both formidable forces. So I thought that was great. And like I said before, Rollins... His night to shine was last night, and I thought he did a great job in his role on the mic, in the ring, and his match with Cena I thought was really good. Even though it's been done to death over the last you know few months, they, they really need to come up with some fresh matches for these guys. But um, 
Rollins as a whole last night I thought was really, really good, both in that opener and in the main event. I think he has a very bright future ahead of him if they could stay the course with his push going forward. So, other parts of Raw last night, or actually not even Raw. Let me actually talk about this before we go off. we got a few minutes left. And um, the announcer shakeup. The announcer shakeup in WWE was announced about a week ago. They put out a press release touting all these changes being made to commentary. So, I have mixed feelings on this. So, the new Raw team is going to be Michael Cole, Booker T, and JBL. They were not bad last night. They were a slight, and I stress slight, improvement over Lawler, Cole, and JBL. At least they're not cracking jokes every 10 seconds. Booker T is not a good commentator. I think he's better than Lawler at this stage in his career. Um, you know, I, I think Lawler is a better talker. You know, when he's when he's motivated, I think he can be great. But his commentary shtick is just not working out. They needed to take him off Raw. The whole trio with JBL, Lawler, and Cole was just not working. They needed to change that. So... I was happy they changed that, but Booker T is not the best improvement, but at least it's something, so I'm not complaining. So we had that, and on SmackDown, we now have Michael Cole, and we also have Jerry Lawler moving to SmackDown, as well as Byron Saxton. So Jerry Lawler, at least he's off Raw. I watch both Raw and SmackDown. I am a part of Minority that watches both shows. There's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of people that only watch Raw, so they are ecstatic that they don't have to hear from Jerry Lawler any longer, which is great. Um, you know, good for Jerry Lawler. He's still got a job going. I respect the hell out of the guy. I'm just not a fan of his commentary work. It's just not good at this stage of his career that they really have no need for him on commentary. Byron Saxton, he's not bad. I thought Tom Phillips was good, and they really just they gave him the shaft for no apparent reason. I have yet to watch tonight's NXT or not NXT main event. I heard he was doing commentary with JBL. I don't know if that's a regular thing or what the deal is, but uh, I thought Tom Phillips was a lot better than Byron Saxton. Tom Phillips. He's not even a babyface commentator. He's just really just a straight-up wrestling commentator. That's what I liked about him. Byron Saxton, he feels like he's forcing it and he's faking it. Just like one of those guys you just want to punch right in the face. And um, I never really thought he was bad, but, you know, he's one of those guys that, uh, I don't, like I said, I think he's just better designed for, like, main event, I think. I think Phillips is better suited on SmackDown than Byron Saxton, but... What's with the whole obsession of the three-man booth nowadays? I mean, we've been getting it for a while, obviously. This is not a new thing. But main event's a three-man booth. Raw's a three-man booth. SmackDown, NXT, every fucking show is a three-man booth. Why do we really need three people trying to tell the same story in one match? We can't get three people calling a match. It's just a clusterfuck. It is an absolute clusterfuck. Every SmackDown, every Raw, it doesn't matter who it is. We've got the same people producing them in the year, whether it be Vince, Kevin Dunn, it doesn't matter. Um, it's going to be the same people regardless. Even though I would love to see some new blood on the main roster in the form of Corey Graves. I think he's doing the pre and post show now for Raw, which is really cool. Big Corey Graves fan, so glad to see him getting that big push, get that big promotion. Um, I would love to see Corey Graves on commentary at some point for either Raw or SmackDown. William Regal, I know he's doing the NXT GM shtick right now, but it would be great. Uh, who else is there? Jason Albert, a.k.a. Tensai. Rich Brennan at some point, Renee Young, even Alex Riley. A lot of great up-and-coming announcers down in NXT right now who are a lot better than the main roster people. Maybe that's because they don't have the same people producing them, of course, like I said before. But you just get tired after a while listening to the same people in every show. There is absolutely no reason why Michael Cole should be calling both Raw and SmackDown. There was a time he didn't call Main Event tonight, apparently. I have yet to watch the show, like I said before. But there was a time when he was calling... Raw, Main Event, and SmackDown. 
Why? Why do you need to have Cole calling every single show? That makes no sense. It makes you feel overexposed. And Jair has talked about this before, dating back to about like a year or so ago. Um, this is not a new thing. But Michael Cole feels so overexposed. You know, much less on a, on a three-hour episode of Raw, you throw in another hour or two on SmackDown main event, that is way too much airtime for Michael Cole. He's not even a bad commentator. I like Michael Cole. I'm not his biggest fan, but I think he's good, especially when he's motivated. But I I, I definitely see a lot of people, why a lot of people don't like him, because we see so much of him. They just shove him down our throats as the voice of the WWE. You never saw Jim Ross doing more than two hours of WWE TV every week. He was not doing Raw and SmackDown, as far as I know. (coughs) Even before SmackDown was a brand, I believe they had Michael Cole and Taz, or Michael Cole and Jerry, or whoever, calling SmackDown over on Friday nights. They never, ever had JR calling every single show. And that's why his commentary felt so special. I mean, we could have him on both shows, and he'd still be great, um, even this day and age. But it's just not necessary, especially with someone like a Michael Cole, who a lot of people are already on thin ice with. So I wasn't really a fan of the commentary change and uh, all that kind of stuff going on right now. I thought Tom Phillips could have been a better fit, like I said before, instead of Byron Saxton. But um, at least they're trying to make an effort to change things up for Raw and SmackDown. They're trying to make SmackDown mean something, and they're not going to give SmackDown its own identity until they make SmackDown its own unique announced team, its own unique roster. Not even unique roster, a unique set, everything. I don't know who it was. It might have been Paul Heyman or might have been JR. I forgot who it said. It was a long time ago, though. And that if they really want to make Raw and SmackDown different shows, because SmackDown, face it, it, right now, it's Raw Rewind. It's exactly what it is. I watch SmackDown. I watch, you know, fucking superstars. It doesn't matter. But um, if they really want to make it something different, and there's no better time to do so than right now, now that it's moving to Thursdays, they need to give it its own feel. And I don't like the whole soft brand split thing. I think that's so stupid. And I'm not going to talk about that here. I went on a long rant about that in my hashtag AskGSM video this week over on YouTube if you want to check it out. And um, I just think that's so stupid. And this is coming from someone that loves the idea of the brand split. But um, I just thought it was so, so stupid to have the idea of a soft brand split. Like, what the hell does that even mean? Like, you can't have raw, exclusive guys and then some non-exclusive guys. Like, that makes absolutely no sense. So, scratch that idea. But you can't SmackDown, you, you can't make SmackDown its own unique show without having it have its own unique roster. Like, that's okay. Um, you don't need to do the same matches on Raw that you do on SmackDown, but you can give it its, its, its own look, its own feel, its own announce team, its own ring announcer, everything. It hasn't been that way in years. The way SmackDown hasn't felt special since at the earliest, and this is being generous, since like 2011 when we had Christian and Orton battling over the World Heavyweight Championship. Like That was a hell of a few that was exclusive to SmackDown for the most part. I know they were also on Raw from time to time, but... That was really a kick-ass feud over on SmackDown that time, and SmackDown really hasn't felt special since. That really comes down on WWE. But like I said earlier, though, I'm looking forward to their move to Thursdays this upcoming week. I will be watching live. Might give some thoughts on that on next week's episode of WrestleRant Radio. Uh, Might not, and I'll get to that reason why in a second. But um, I will have my full review up regardless. Uh, My full reviews of Raw this week, SmackDown this upcoming week on Thursday. New reviews of Lucha Underground, which I will be reviewing on Next Era Wrestling right here on the website going forward. Um, I started with last week's episode. Great show with that awesome Aztec Warfare match. Definitely check it out. Well worth going out of your way to see. Great stuff. Um, I will be re- I will be reviewing Lucha Underground going forward right here on nextairwrestling.weebly.com, so make sure to check that out. But um, the reason why I will not be talking about Raw or SmackDown or TNA next week 
uh, right here on Russell Rant Radio is that a couple of weeks ago, right before we left campus, I sat down with RJ, my host, the, the co-host of Russell Rant Radio, of course. Hasn't been on the show in a while since we left campus, obviously. But um, we sat down in the radio room and we recorded live commentary while watching the 2006 Royal Rumble matchup on the WWE Network. And for those of you, I thought it would be only befitting with the Royal Rumble match coming up. So next week, the final Royal Rumble before, or the final WrestleMania Radio before the Royal Rumble pay-per-view um, next Tuesday. Of course, I'll start off the show with my Royal Rumble predictions, but aside from that, I probably won't get into a full <clears throat> Raw review unless something big happens like the Macho Man announcement or announcer shakeup or whatever. More than likely, it's going to be um, the entire show, and it's about an hour and like 15 minutes dedicated to that commentary to that matchup because it's a really long matchup. I think that entire, I think it's one of the longest rumbles in history, if not the longest rumble in history. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not exactly sure, but for those of you that like the 06 Rhea Rumble or whatever else, because I will not be reviewing uh, the 2006 Rhea Rumble in my WrestleRant series this month on YouTube. I will not be talking about the 06. I'm only talking about 1996, 2000, 01, 02, 04, 05, 07, 08, uh, 2010, and 2011. Those are the only ones I'm reviewing this month. Maybe next year, but um, I thought it'd be cool to talk about, do live commentary for the first time ever on WrestleRant Radio. It's a first year on WrestleRant Radio. Coming up next week with RJ and myself talking about the 2006 Royal Rumble matchup. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime and in between time, folks, you can catch me on Twitter at WrestleRant on Facebook at Graham Jason Matthews. YouTube, same thing. Bleach Report, same thing. New columns going up all the time for Bleach Report, as well as What Culture. You can check out the links um, on my Twitter and Facebook. You know, new articles going up all the time. And like I said at the start of the podcast, um, I talked to Randy Cruz on the Cruise Control podcast earlier today. Had a great time. I'm sure you'll enjoy the podcast as much as, as, much as I did doing it um, earlier today. I, like I said before, I can't give you the exact link, but I did tweet out the link a few times on my Twitter if you want to check it out. It's over on my Facebook page. Tweeted out a number of times on my Twitter earlier today, so you can go back and click the link. It's about a 45-minute show. Not too long. It's a lot of fun stuff. Talking about Macho Man in the Hall of Fame. For more thoughts from me on that. The Monday Night War Show, WrestleMania 31, Current State of the Product, Commentary, Brock Lesnar, Daniel Bryan, so much more. Had a hell of a time, so make sure to go back and check that out. <clears throat> and of course... Where you're listening to the show right now, nextairawrestling.weebly.com. New columns going up all the time. Uh, reviews of Raw, SmackDown, Lucha Underground, like I said before, all new to the website. TNA, new review of the Wrestle Kingdom 9 pay-per-view from last Sunday, which I thought was stellar. So go back and check that out from last Sunday. Jonas Jargon, like I said before, I had a great time seeing John this week. Was unable to get him on the show. We did beast booking, hashtag it. Uh, all night long and all day long today, so I was unable to get him on the show, but next time I see him, hopefully we can you know, get a brief sound bite from him going on the road to WrestleMania, his thoughts on the current road to WrestleMania, the Royal Rumble, and everything else. But um, yeah, check out John's jargon. He's got a new piece up about three matches we need to see, and I bold that, I capitalize that, I emphasize it, baby. Three matches we need to see at WrestleMania 31 this upcoming March. So make sure to check that out. And like I said before, new WrestleRant radios are going up every single Tuesday. Make sure to check them out. Uh, and like I said before, live commentary of the 2006 Royal Rumble matchup coming up next Tuesday. It's going to be a big show. As always, folks, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and I'll catch you next Tuesday.